Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you've been around uh, Oak Mountain uh, this fall, you know we're going through a series in 1 Samuel, but we're skipping some chapters. We were in chapter 7 last. We're skipping ahead to chapter 14. Uh, we'll go back to chapter 8 next week. But the reason why we're skipping ahead is because of United States ministry emphasis. Uh, once a year, we take some time to focus on reaching our country with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many ways that we want to see our nation changed. There are so many reasons why we are so thankful to be in this nation. But we need to be reminded there's only one way this country is going to be changed. And that is as individual hearts come into contact with the powerful living message of the risen Christ. And so every one of us are called, according to our vision, to engage every neighbor with the surprising power of grace. We sang that song, eight billion people in the world. We'll hit that number sometime this fall. But this week and last week, we're focusing specifically on the 330 million people that call themselves Americans or live inside of the borders of our nation. Now, in 1 Samuel 14, what we learn is that in order to seek after God's heart, remember, that's the theme of 1 Samuel, taken from 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, where God rejects Saul as king because Saul disobeys and is a man of unbelief. And God says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, I will seek a man after my own heart. And, of course, he's talking about King David. And what we're learning through this series is that every one of us can become, by God's grace, men and women and children after God's own heart. We're looking at various ways through the book that God transforms us, and how we're going to look this morning as we become people after God's own heart as we gain a heart for missions. God's heart is a missionary heart. It began in, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin. God became obviously exposed as and presented as and revealed as the missionary God. He went after Adam and Eve and said, Adam, where are you? And then he said to the devil, I will put enmity, I will put hostility between your seed, Satan, and the seed of the woman, and you may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And we see God lays out the battle, the, the larger story of the great battle between good and evil. Now, through the Old Testament, the battle is presented through the stories of the Old Testament church, Israel. And the larger battle of good versus evil, the larger spiritual battle, is actually presented as Israel battles various nations. And in 1 Samuel 14, we see Israel battling their arch enemy, the Philistines. And we, we see two main characters take the stage. We see Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul. Now, Jonathan is being introduced because he is going to be revealed as the most intimate ally and friend 
of King David. With Jonathan on stage is his armor bearer. And those two are going to attack the entire Philistine army. And what we learn is that to develop a heart for missions, to be engaged in United States ministry, is actually to enter the fray. It is to find ourselves on a battlefield. But the battlefield is not a battle for lands. It's not a battle for nations. It's a battle for human hearts. Now, throughout the history of the church, some of the people have misunderstood and misapplied the literal battles between Israel and the nations, and they have thought that that's what we're to be committed to. And so, sadly, you have the centuries of 1100 to around 1300 A.D., and the popes and some leaders who called themselves Christians of nations wanted Christians to be involved in something called the Crusades. And the Crusades were religious wars where people who called themselves Christians took up arms and went to the countries of the Middle East where the Muslims had taken over and conquered Christian lands, and we were going to try to take it back by force. That is a misapplication of 1 Samuel 14. It's a misapplication of the entire Old Testament. We are not called to take up arms on behalf of the gospel and to force conversions or to take back lands. We're not called to a holy war. We're called to spiritual battle. And we're to labor for the hearts of men and women and children. And so as we read 1 Samuel 14 today, I want you to keep in mind the larger story of the spiritual battle that we're called to engage in for the souls of people. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 to 15. This is God's Word. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he not, did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few." And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, 
then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about twenty men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic." Isn't God's Bible so interesting, filled with so many amazing stories? This is God's Word. It's inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, and it's authoritative. And He gave it to us because He loves us. And He wants us to recognize that we, too, find ourselves in a war with a determined enemy. And the war's already been won. And we are called, like Jonathan's armor bearer, to engage in the mop-up. Not to kill lives, but to save lives. Though the battle is just as intense. Let's pray. God, we ask that you'd open our eyes, that you would show us how you want us to enter the fray, to play our part in the great battle between the forces of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the forces of evil. Come, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, looks at the disciples and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't you all long for the power of the Spirit? Now, you've heard all kinds of things about the power of the Holy Spirit. I know you know friends of certain Christian uh, views, and they talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. What does Jesus say the point of the Holy Spirit is? You will be my witnesses. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to enable us to be witnesses. But then notice what Jesus says in Acts 1, verse 8 to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Now, do you know what those places are? Those are local ministry fields around where the disciples lived. Jerusalem, of course, the holy city. Judea, the region where Jerusalem is. Samaria, the region outside of Judea that was part of Israel, especially the Old Testament northern tribes. And then he says, to the remotest parts of the earth. And what we have there is our breakdown of ministry and missional living. We see local ministry, Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and we see global ministry, the remotest parts of the earth. The past two weeks, we've been focusing on local ministry. 
reaching the United States with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change lives. That's what's going to change our country. No other institution, no other hope is the hope of our country. Only the power of the gospel to change lives. And through Jonathan and his armor bearer, we discover the part we're to play in this great ministry to our nation. First of all, seek after God's heart and mission through intentional engagement. We see in this passage the entire way a contrast between the king, Saul, and the king's son, Jonathan. Look at verses 1 and verses 6. Jonathan said to the young man, he repeats it in both verses, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let's go. First of all, let's go over to the garrison of the Philistines, again, the enemies of God's people, the enemies of God, who stand spiritually in the line of the spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, that we're in, along with his armor bearer. Let's go to the garrison of the Philistines, verse 6. Let's go to these uncircumcised. Again, highlighting the fact that they are not believers in God. They, in a sense, are symbolic of the forces of evil. Now, again, it's so important that we understand that Jonathan is giving us a picture of the larger story that we're all in, where we are seeking to defeat the forces of evil and bring people the good news of salvation. So Jonathan says in verse 6, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan is convinced that God is always at work around us all the time. And that's the first principle of intentional engagement that every one of us needs to understand. Now, when, when Tom, and I agree with what he did, when he asked people who are, are our U.S. ministry partners to stand up, the people that are engaged in discipleship, uh, discipleship ministries, campus ministries, church planting, various ministries of mercy and justice, they stood up. But there's a sense in which every single one of us should stand up. Because as soon as we leave this place, guess what, folks? You and I leave to live and work and play on a mission field. The United States is a mission field. It's not just a nation in which we live. It's not a place that we have our citizenship in. It's a mission field. And God is at work around us all the time. When you leave this place today and you go to eat, God was already there before you get there. And while you're there, he's working as well. And after you leave, he's going to be there. And that's true your place of vocation. That's true where your kids play. That's true where you work out. That's true where you shop, where you bank, where you do everything. God is at work around us all the time. And we, like Jonathan and his armor bearer, are to seek after God's heart and mission through intentional engagement. Now, Jonathan was convinced that God was at work around them, and we have even more confidence now that God's rescue mission has been fully revealed in the sending of Jesus Christ, who, though his heel was bruised, he crushed the serpent's head. 
In Matthew 12, 29, Jesus speaks these words. How can someone enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder the strong man's house. That is what Christ came to do, men and women. He came to bind the strong man. He came to bind up and cast out the devil so that now we as the Jonathans and the armor bearers can enter into the strong man's house. And we are given the privilege by the power of the Spirit and the grace of God to plunder Satan's house. As a matter of fact, we are always on the offensive. Always. We're never on the defensive. I know Satan loves to lie to us and makes us sort of feel like we're back on our heels, like he's coming at us. But the fact is, scripturally, we're always on the offensive. We're never on the defensive. The armor of God. Think about it. It's all frontal armor. There's no armor for your back. You're never running away, ever. We're attacking the gates of hell. As a matter of fact, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What does that say to you? The gates of hell are the one that are defending. They're the ones that are trying to keep us out. You see, the strong man's house is to be plundered. There's gates in front of that strong man's house. God, through Christ, has bound the strong man. And now the gates of hell are trying to keep us out, but we're always attacking. When you leave this place, when I leave this place, we leave it to hit the mission field of the strong man's house. And we are called to steal like crazy men, women, and children that he has enslaved. Now contrast Jonathan and his armor bearer with Saul. Look at verse 2. Saul was staying, the Hebrew word literally is sitting. Saul is sitting in a cave. What's he doing in a cave? The the enemies of God, the enemies of the gospel are, are having a field day with the people of God. And the leader of the Old Testament church is sitting in a cave. We're supposed to be offended as we read this. And then we're supposed to repent. Because how many of us are just sitting in a cave while evil has a field day with our nation? And look, again, folks... (laughs) It's not by taking up issues in our nation. (laughs) That is not going to change our nation. You can fight and debate the issues all you want. It's not going to change a thing. Pro-life. We are so pro-life in this church. Okay? Supreme Court. Change Roe versus Wade. Great. But so what? Now the battle's simply gone from politics to where it always should have been, human hearts. 
What needs to be changed are individual human hearts. Laws are fine, but as we saw in Kansas, laws aren't going to be changed at the state level unless people's hearts are changed. It's time we become intentional about people's hearts and not all the issues that get us fired up. Saul, however, is doing nothing. He's sitting in a cave. We've talked many times at this church that this church is a picture of an aircraft carrier. 5,000 people on a typical aircraft carrier. We don't have quite that many here at Oak Mountain. But we're all pilots. We're all flying in. We can barely keep our wings level. We've been shot at in the world throughout the week. We're beat up. We're bloodied. We're bruised. We barely catch that wire, and we come to a stop. We enter the hospital, the sick bay of the aircraft carrier called the local church, and we get fed, and we get prayed for, and we have people that hug us and put their arms around us, and we're refueled and retooled and refreshed. And then what happens? We're catapulted off this baby into the mission field that is the United States, that is our neighborhoods. Sometimes on aircraft carriers, they have these things called a fouled deck. A fouled deck is when there are other planes in the way. Something's happened with those planes. And as a result, no planes that need to land can come and land on the carrier. And no planes that need to take off can take off to fight the enemy. It's a fouled deck. Different kinds of things cause fouled decks. People who were distracted, that were given a job and failed to do it. Different kind of breakdowns. How might we be contributing to a fouled deck? How have we lost the vision of intentional engagement? That we not only fly off this place ourselves, but we are called to various support roles, like Jonathan's armor bearer like the 5,000 men and women on aircraft carriers that each has a role in getting those pilots to fly? Are we doing intentionally what God has called us to do to play our part to reach our nation with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Seek after God's heart in mission through intentional engagement. Secondly, seek after God's heart in mission through courageous faith. Jonathan had an intimate walk with God. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the names of God in your English Bibles are actually written in such a way that you're able to understand what the Hebrew word is. So if you have capital L, small o, small r, small d, Lord, that's the Hebrew word for Adonai, which does in fact mean Lord or Master. Then you have God, all caps, which is Elohim, which is the greatness of God. And then you have Lord, which is all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that is the covenant name of God. That is the name for Jehovah. That is the name for Yahweh. And so every time you see Lord in all caps, 
That is emphasizing the covenant-keeping God of grace who always is faithful to fulfill his promises on behalf of his people. And all through this passage, Jonathan refers to God as the covenant-keeping God, the Lord. And the reason why he's able to step out with intentional engagement is because he's filled with a courageous faith because he understands who his God is. So one of those covenant promises, for instance, that Jonathan was aware of is Leviticus 26, verse 8. Listen to this. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. And again, in the Old Testament church, it was more temporal and material as far as the lessons. You had real nations, real enemies. There was real war, real battle, real bloodshed, real killing. But it points us to the larger conflict, which is spiritual. Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not material. They're spiritual. For the pulling down of strongholds, again, we're attacking the gates of hell. We're on the offensive. And so we learn from Jonathan's courageous faith that we too can put 10,000 to flight. We can see God do amazing things in our nation, but not the way many evangelicals are choosing to think God's going to change our nation. God is going to change our nation one way, and that is as people's hearts come into contact with the power of the risen Christ through the amazing message of the grace of God in the gospel. And then we can recognize that the sword is the sword of the Spirit, the word of truth, that the Holy Spirit uses us through our courageous faith to apply to the lives of those around us. And then he says in verse 6, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan had a faith that was willing to take risks there were no guarantees. Look, there's no guarantees for any of us. We don't know how anybody's going to respond to the gospel. We support RUF campus ministers and crew and navigators and all these other campus ministries. They don't know for sure how people are going to respond, but guess what? I responded. That's how I came to Christ. I'm here because some church supported, as part of their courageous faith, campus ministers. And that's how I came to Christ. We have the opportunity to use courageous faith to give sacrificially. Do you, know how, do you know how many requests Tom Patton receives and the mission team calls through? And do you know how many we can't support? But if we had courageous faith and, and really begin to trust God in the battle, Think of how many more campuses we could reach with the gospel. And not just campuses. Think of how many counseling ministries. You know, there, there's an eight to ten month wait if you want to see a counsel, Christian counselor right now. If you want to see a Christian counselor right now, if you're a normal person that doesn't have, like, contacts that can sort of slide you in, it's an eight to ten month wait. And there's some good Christian counselors out there that are waiting 
to start counseling, but they're in support raising because they want to make sure their counseling of the gospel is either free or reasonable. There are people who want to adopt children, and they lack the funds. We want to be a church that actually enables our members to adopt children. It could cost fifty dollars to $100,000 to adopt a child. Did you know that? There's so much we can do, but it's to require sacrifice on our part to be the armor bearer that supports the people like Jonathan who are exercising their courageous faith to be on the field. In verses 4 and 5, we see a rocky crag. If you've ever been in a place that's very mountainous, there can be really steep, loose, stoned sort of areas, and sometimes there's a valley. That's what Jonathan had. So Jonathan not only had to trust God to show up, but, but he had, you think about Normandy, how exposed those soldiers were in World War II. Jonathan was exposed as he climbed these hills with his armor bearer. He was a sitting duck. But then he, it says in verse 5, he claimed, climbed on his hands and knees. He, he had to be tired and worn out when he got there. He had courageous faith that God was the one that was going to work in people's hearts. But no guarantees. We simply offer the gospel of grace. We can't force people, unlike the Crusades, to try to make conversions. When's the last time you risked for the sake of the gospel? When you really put yourself out there, when you say, God, if you don't show up, I'm gonna fall flat in my face. And then look at how God did show up. I'm sorry, Jonathan climbed on his hands and knees in verse 13, not 5. If I led you astray, I was looking in a previous sentence there. In verse 15, notice how God shows up when we step out in courageous faith. There was panic or terror in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The whole garrison, the raiders, the earth, everything quaked with terror. And then look at verse 20. We didn't read it, but look at verse 20. Every Philistine sword was against his fellow Philistine. When we step out in courageous faith, God shows up. Are you bored in the Christian life? I mean, are you just bored? Are you ready to almost check out and go do something else? No. Sometimes it's because Satan, in his attacks of us, trying to get us on our heels instead of us remembering we're on the offensive, Satan gets to the place, gets us to the place where we're, We're really not doing anything. We're like Saul. We're sitting in a cave. We've been called to attack the gates of hell, and we're sitting in a cave playing tiddlywinks. And that's why some of us are bored. Can I just be honest? Some of us are bored because we're so self-consumed. Some of us are bored because we're on the sidelines, and we're meant to be in the game. Some of us are bored because we've allowed Satan to shut down our hearts. But when we step out in courageous faith, you'll see God move like you've never seen him move before. And you'll come alive. Because you realize, wow, this is real. The, The battle we're in is every bit as real as the battle Jonathan was in. The enemies are just as real, they're just not visible. The impact of defeating the enemy is just as significant, we just don't always see it. May God enable us to exercise courageous 
faith when it comes to reaching our nation with the gospel. Then thirdly and finally, seek after God's heart and mission through strategic partnership. I've always already addressed this with the partnerships of the people that we need to hook up with in order to go into our country. But if you notice the passage, the armor bearer is referred to again and again and again and again. The, the armor bearer is as significant to the whole text as Jonathan is. Verse 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 12, verse 13 twice, verse 14, the armor bearer, the armor bearer, the armor bearer, the armor bearer, the armor bearer. Jonathan couldn't have taken the hill without the armor bearer. And there are people in cities planting churches and campuses leading people to Christ and discipling future leaders. There are mercy ministries and justice ministries related to all kinds of beautiful works and deeds of the gospel. And they can't take the hill without us. Not just financial. That's one element. But, but our time, our skills, our talents. We, we had uh, last week the ministry fair, an opportunity to, to sign up with ministries that are local that we can actually get engaged with. We seek God's heart and mission through strategic partnerships. You may feel like you're a pawn in God's chess game. Lori and I watched a a Netflix series on a, on a chess prodigy and learn some things about chess. You may feel like a pawn is insignificant, and in some ways it is. You may feel like a pawn in God's chess match with the enemy, but guess what? Few things are more important than the pawns in a chess game. There's a famous chess master from the 18th century. His name was Philidor, and this is what he said to his students. Play the pawns well, for they are the soul of chess. The pawns on the board determine the attack as well as the defense of any counterattack. The good or bad arrangement and management and moving of the pawns determines the winning or losing of the match. The pawn called the armor bearer, said to Jonathan in verse 7, I am with you, heart and soul. And there are church planters, and there are campus ministers, and there are counselors, and there are pro-life workers, and there are people who work in the prisons, and on and on and on that need to hear from us in this church. We are with you, heart and soul. We are all in. And so I ask you this morning, are you? Are you? Are you all in on HMS, His Majesty's ship, the OMPC? Are you all in financially? Are you all in with your time? Are you all in with your energy? Are you all in with your skills? Verse 6, the Lord is not limited to save by many or by few. I, I, I use that every week, at least twice a week, by the way. I, for 30 years, I've, I've had a 6 a.m. prayer meeting in my office. You all are welcome, every one of you. For 30 years, I've had a prayer meeting in my office on Saturday morning, 6, 7. You're, you're, you're all welcome, always have been. But the fact is, in a church of 2,600, 
for 30 years, we've had four, five, six, which is fine because I quote this verse in prayer every week. God is not limited to save by many or by few. You may be the pawn that steps up even when everybody else doesn't. And I want you to know you can make a difference. You can make a difference. There are Bob Flayharts out there at Penn State's who don't know the Lord. And because of our role as armor bearers, people come to Christ. You see, the most strategic partnership of all is not really with the United States ministry partner. It's with God himself. See, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go. Jesus is the newer and greater Jonathan. In Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, including your own, and know that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is the newer and greater Jonathan who says to us, his armor bearers, come on. Let's go. Let's attack the gates of hell. Let's be on the offensive. Your only armor is offensive. There's no armor for sitting in a cave. There's no armor for running away. The armor is given to you to attack the gates of hell. And when you do, I will show up. And you will have a vitality in your Christian life that you never knew was possible. We were made for ministry. We were made for mission. And when we aren't involved in ministry and we aren't involved in mission, we are going to be bored. Because we were made for more. And so Tom asked everyone earlier, if you're involved in the United States ministry, stand up. So folks, I'm asking all of you right now, stand up. It's the end of the sermon, stand up. <laughs> you're going to hear the benediction, but I want you to see. You are the Jonathans. You are the armor bearers. And there is a nation to win. Not through force but through the power of the gospel, by the power of the Spirit. Receive the benediction as you fly off this carrier. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and always. Amen. Amen. Let's close